Hello folks, it's not often that uh, one starts a show with a bit of a warning precaution, but um, it's going to happen on this occasion. Uh, I've recorded the uh, episode you're about to hear uh, with the intent of discussing uh, the great album by John Hyatt, Meet the Family, with uh, my good friend and uh, fellow music aficionado, uh, Jeff Smith. And um, I basically had all sorts of technical glitches, so we got about two-thirds of the way through the show. In fact, actually, we recorded the whole program, and due to some stupidity on my part, uh, I accidentally deleted the last 30, 40 minutes of the program, which was effectively the part where we did the discussion on Meet the Family, everything before that is just shooting the breeze about music that we enjoyed uh, in recent weeks, and uh, a bit of an intro to uh, John Hyatt's history. Uh, and hopefully that's still of some sort of interest to you. But um, basically, I had to re-record the uh, Meet the Family portion of the show, but uh, I've had technical problems uh, with the uh, software I was recording our conversation with over Skype. So um, I thought rather than record it for a third time, I'd just put up onto the podcast site uh, what I have, and hopefully you'll find some enjoyment out of us uh, shooting the breeze, as it were, uh, and I promise to get the next program just right for you all. Uh, so uh, with that in mind, I hope you enjoy listening to the program. Any feedback that you'd like to uh, pass on to me, uh, you can email me at rrrkitchen, that's all one word, rrrkitchen at yahoo.com.au. You can find the podcast on lovethatalbum.blogspot.com or lovethatalbum.com podbean, that's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com, uh, or you can just type in Love That Album at uh, iTunes, and um, you can get it from there. So I'll hopefully have a full and proper episode up for you in a couple of weeks, but in the meantime, hope uh, you enjoy what we have here, and uh, we'll speak to you again soon. Cheers. Nobody worries about kids listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? Folks out there, welcome to um, uh, edition number two of uh, my podcast. Love that album. It's only taken three months between the first one and this second one, uh, but uh, nevertheless, here we are, and I'm hoping to make this a little bit more regular than it's been once every three months. I think is uh, a little too infrequent for my liking, and I hope a little infrequent, too infrequent for your liking too. Um, uh, basically, for those of you who um, haven't heard the first one, the format of this show is uh, for me and uh, invited guests to have a bit of a yak about um, a feature album uh, for, you know, we hope a good 30 minutes or so, uh, maybe more, maybe a little bit less, but um, 
basically uh, we're just going to have a bit of a rap about an album that means a lot to us, something that we've been listening to for years. Um, and uh, hopefully um, there'll be some stuff in there that you'll enjoy and want to provide feedback, provide your own forum. I'll give you email addresses later on. So um, uh, we'd love feedback here at uh, Love That Album. So uh, anyway, uh, before we uh, start talking about today's feature album, which will be John Hyatt's Bring the Family, uh, I'd like to introduce my co-host for uh, today's edition, uh, my good friend, Jeff Smith. Good morning, Jeff. Morning, Morris. How are you? All right. How's yourself? Yeah, not too bad for a, a nice bright Sunday morning. It is indeed. It is indeed. Uh, so for the uh, listenership out there, both of them, uh, give us a little bit of a uh, background uh, of uh, where you come from musically or have uh, been a music fan for many, many years. What's uh, what, what are your loves? Oh, Morris, my, uh, you know, my um, interests are sort of wide-ranging. Um, I tend to focus, I think, these days much more on your sort of American singer-songwriters. Um, Bruce Springsteen, obviously, a big fan of that, of him. Uh, mm. Bob Dylan. I know, you know, the related artists, but, you know, recently I've been uh, finding myself listening to a lot more sort of modern, uh, not popular, but modern artists. I'm sure you're familiar with some of those. You know, the Gaslight Anthem, the Drive-By Truckers, even. Yeah. And, uh, the, the recent offspring from the Gaslight Anthem, The Horrible Crows, came my way this week, and, you know, I really loved that. Mm, yeah, I haven't had a chance to listen to that yet. Thanks for the disc on Friday. I've got to make that a listen uh, before the weekend's out for sure. Um, yeah, well, Jeff and I actually met. Uh, Jeff had mentioned before his uh, love of the music of Springsteen, and uh, Jeff and I actually met through a uh, Bruce Springsteen uh, forum where um, uh, bootlegs were exchanged and discussions were made and, uh, all sorts of things, and anyone who thinks that um, the internet uh, is not a forum for healthy discussion, uh, well, they should trot on down to a good music fans forum, and uh, certainly a lot of interesting stuff going down. I think it was Greasy Lake, wasn't it, Jeff? That's the one, yeah. Mm. All right. Um, so, uh, okay, well, look, you, you mentioned that you've been listening to a few more modern artists lately. What what are the albums you've been listening to over the last couple of weeks? What's uh, really twiddled your dial? Modern, old? What have you, have you come back to something? Um, yeah, I kind of, well, I mentioned Elsie by The Horrible Crows, um, and I'm not on a commission, I will mention it a lot, I just really love <laughs> it. Um, and I've been, I have been going back to some uh, some older stuff. I actually had uh, Hanging Around the Observatory on the other morning, came up uh, on the iPod, and I thought, oh, I'm going to listen to this album again, and no, I still don't really like it all that much. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> that, that'll probably come up in our discussion a little bit later for sure. Yeah, and a couple of songs on there that I thought were good. Then uh, I kind of got diverted back into Steve Earle and Jackson Brown. All right. I recently picked up a, a whole whole big load of live Jackson Brown stuff from over the years. I've yes. you know, seen his songs in a whole lot of different formats and different uh, arrangements, which was really quite interesting. And, you know, some of them you really like, and some of them you think, no, how can you do that to your song? Yeah. To my song. You know, that's, you can't do that, but, yeah. So that's been really good. And, you know, just going back to the, some of the Steve Earle stuff, the really early stuff, mm. um, discovered that I'd left a couple off the iPod and wondered why I hadn't had any of them for a while. Yep. And uh, loaded them back on and, and listened to them, you know, Exit Zero and uh, oh, what's the other, the really the really early one. I can't, his name's slipped on my mind now. No, I, d- I didn't know of anything before Copperhead Road, I'm afraid. Guitar, Guitar Town, I think it's called. Ah, Guitar Town, yeah, yeah, that's a famous one. Yeah. So what do you think so, yeah. is Steve Earle's best period? Um, uh, I think he has such distinct periods, some of them comprising, you know, one album 
by itself. Mm. But for me, I really loved the, the Copperhead Road, Hardway, um, the more more he- heavier rocking sound than the, the country stuff. But, you know, I love the country stuff too. Mm. Mm. Um, kind of yeah. lost my way with Stephen in, in, you know, around the sort of the, the little train of coming and in, in around there. I kind of lost my way a bit with him. And, but I've come back to that and, you know, I guess as I've gotten a bit older, you know, I was quite young when I started listening to Steve L, so as I've gotten a bit older, I kind of, I think the, the, the more country acoustic-y stuff's got more to say to me, mm. you know, and I just picked that up, it's, and yeah, I'm really, really enjoying going back through some of the older stuff. Yeah, I think I sort of uh, jumped on the uh, Steve L train, as it were, with uh, Trainer Cummins, I remember reading reviews in the uh, local music press about um, this being, I think it was his first album post-prison. Um, yeah. As we all know, uh, Steve Earle is uh, uh, probably the one thing he's got in trouble in common with uh, uh, the late Elizabeth Taylor was multiple marriages. I don't know much else, but uh, multiple marriages and drug addictions and jail terms sort of uh, made him, uh, I guess, right fodder for a uh, uh, you know, country musician. Um, yeah, he takes the boxes. Just... Sorry, go ahead. He takes the boxes on all those counts, I think. He certainly does. Uh, but yeah, Trainer Cummins had uh, been highly praised as um, uh, you know, certainly taking a new acoustic direction from what he'd previously done, uh, slightly more demure. I don't know that necessarily demure was the was uh, correct, but certainly um, uh, musically uh, a little bit more gentle than what he'd done before. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, that was that was certainly where I picked up on him and uh, sort of followed him followed him down the track for. Uh, quite a number of albums and I I think I've sort of like lost a little bit of interest in him in maybe the last three or four but uh, his son Justin Townsville on the other hand is coming up with uh, some brilliant stuff yeah I must have I've listened to <clears throat> a couple of Justin's uh, albums recently I've not had time to listen to them in great detail but they're definitely on that go back and, and revisit because you know they sound pretty good on first listen pile Mm. Um, yeah, you know, similarly, I think I'm I'm losing my way with Steve a bit. He's becoming, you know, very samey. Um, he's becoming very sort of, you know, he's kind of settled into being happy, and I don't think that works for country musicians. Uh, I don't, I don't <laughs> know. I've, I've, everything that I've sort of like read of the last couple of albums seems him going more the uh, uh, hardened political uh, road. I mean, it seems more like you know uh, the, the contradiction in terms. You sort of expect you know the more conservative older parent and the uh, more radical, uh, younger offspring. And it seems like, you know, Justin Townsell is the one who's writing all the love songs and all the, uh, human interest songs and Steve Earle's coming up with albums like The Revolution Starts Here and, uh, songs like John Lynn's Blues. So, um, he might, he might be happy and in love, but I don't know whether that's, uh, how, how much has affected his songwriting. I think he's becoming older and more radical. I don't know. Uh, I reckon his, uh, his most recent release, which came out earlier this year, um, is a collection of songs basically saying, you know, I'm in love with Alison and isn't life great? And, 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 <laughs> and yeah, okay, Steve, that's great. We're happy for you. But, you know, can put the band back together. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, we were talking the other day. I think you and I might have been in the uh, Prince of Wales Hotel at the same time a few years yeah. ago when he came out playing uh, just him and an acoustic guitar. And I certainly felt he could have done uh, better by having a band with him. I don't know. I, I'm not sure if he was less charismatic or, or the band. Just that, those songs that I'd heard on um, uh, an album that I really loved of his, El Corazon, uh, mm. lacked a little something. 
just him and the acoustic guitar. There are lots of performers who can make the solo thing work, but I wasn't completely sold on uh, Steve's solo venture that night. But um, yeah, yeah, I think the best performances I've seen. I've seen him a few times. The best performances I've seen when he's done a smallish acoustic set in the middle of a band show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he's picked out two or three that he thinks are really going to work, and, and that's been that's been really good. Mm. Um, I also, I'm just slightly related. Steve also released uh, an album of uh, Towns Van Zant songs okay. um, not so long ago, and you know, basically they were all arranged, and he tried to sound exactly like Towns Van Zant. Mm. And when I heard it, I thought, you know, Steve, why, why have you released Towns Van Zant's album? We've already got that. <laughs> Unless you're going to do something a little <laughs> different with it. Yeah, Towns did it, and he probably did it better because they were her songs. But... Yeah, oh, I remember yeah. reading an interview with um, with uh, Steve, where um, I mean, he was certainly very passionate about about uh, Towns Van Zant, and he said, um, "I'll tell you that uh, Towns Van Zant's the greatest songwriter who ever lived, and I'll stand on anyone's copy of Blonde on Blonde in my big cowboy boots and, and challenge <laughs> them to a fight if they disagree with me or something like that." <laughs> so. Yeah. I think- he can, can be a bit like that, yeah. Mm. Um, well, actually, we should probably sort of defer the talk about Steve Earle because I think we've got plans to do a Steve Earle special maybe a couple of episodes down the track. Um, so uh, maybe we'll save more of that talk for later on. Um, so anything more that you've been listening to over the last couple of weeks that's um, really got you passionate? Again, just, just listening to some of the old Jackson Brown stuff and how, you know, songs from recorded from you know when I was born yeah. still really hold up. You know, they still they still have something to say. They've still got commentary to make about, you know, I guess just being a bloke. Yeah. That's what all Jackson Brown's early stuff was about and how weird the world is, and, you know, and, and how, how you try and make sense of it. And I think he does it in a much more eloquent way than a lot of a lot of songwriters of the, you know, similar period, you know. He, um, he's certainly a wordsmith, certainly, uh, you know, because, because he's, he's not assaulting you. Uh, I, I guess a lot of people who feel they have something hard to say have to... Um, uh, bring a wild, raucous uh, tune to it and sometimes realise that you can still hit the same message with something a little bit more gentle, which I think tends to be uh, Mr. Brown's oeuvre. Yeah, so, I, know, I know you're not the, the biggest, the world's biggest fan of Jackson Brown, but... Uh, no, no I, I, he's someone who I admire without necessarily being a huge fan of, but I certainly um, I certainly admire him. Yeah, he's, a, he's a, an artist of great humour, I find, as well. You know, he finds a lot of very amusing things to say about you know, for, not not black humour, but you know, just very sort of everyday kind of amusing things. And when he's dealing with subjects that are you know pretty horrendous, and you know, breakup of relationships and all that sort of stuff, and and he can just sort of cut across it with a you know an amusing line, and you think, well, you know, maybe it's not so bad. Mm-hmm. Which I get, which brings me back to uh, the horrible crows and Elsie. I mean, uh, <laughs> oh, you did say you were going to mention that a few times, yes. Drop that in again, because I think the you know the the lead singer and the songwriter there, Brian Fallon, has. Uh, a similar, if more uh, sort of gruff, uh, less polished approach to to some of his songwriting. You know, the sort of um, world's falling apart around me, but you know that's okay. I've still got the car and my blue jeans. I'm off. <laughs> <laughs> Which actually could tend to be a bit of a, a theme with some of uh, John Hyatt's songs on Bring the Family. Really, you know, there's, there's a couple of songs there which uh, life isn't so great, but oh well, you know, let's head to Memphis in the meantime anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll, get, we'll get to that soon. Um, all right, so the stuff I've been listening to over uh, recent times, I think I might have mentioned to um, a songwriter who probably a lot of other people caught up with, but I only heard for the first time at the beginning of this week, 
is um, uh, an English singer called Laura Marlin. Um, I, I walked into a, a favorite CD shop in Melbourne and they were playing a copy of her latest album, A Creature I Don't Know. And I don't know, Jeff, if you have these moments where you walk into a store think, what the hell is that they're playing? Jeez, I've got to go buy a copy of that. And that was certainly um, how I felt after uh, hearing a couple of songs uh, from this in the store. Um, yeah, it's, I think it's moments like that, that that keep us coming back to this music obsessionalism. Absolutely. You just get across the face and you go, whoa, here yeah, we absolutely. go. Because, I mean, if you're, if you're listening to the radio, chances are you're going to have to uh, sit through hours of dreck before you get to something that you really like. Um, yeah. or, or maybe stuff that you think, oh, yeah, that's okay. That, but, that, yes, this is one of those, wow, gobsmacking sort of things. Um, and I'm, I'm, I believe, you know, she's won Mercury Prizes and stuff like that. So she's obviously got some sort of profile uh, in certain circles and, and around England. But, but uh, this is my uh, epiphany, I guess, is a word I like using a lot. Um, just walking to the store and hearing this album, and, and uh, yeah, it's a bit hard to um, to uh, pin down the songwriting style. It'd be all too easy to go compare it to, you know, people like Joni Mitchell and Suzanne Vega. But um, I, I guess there would be role models for it. Actually, after I bought the album, I went and had a bit of a look, see on um, on the internet, and, and she's only 21, but she writes uh, she writes her music and. And lyrics with the uh, with the confidence of someone much older. I, 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 I'd certainly say she's probably someone who's very well read. She's uh, probably been reading a lot of books and and just sucking up lots and lots of albums through the course of her lifetime. But this is it's an incredibly mature sounding album. Um, I'd be interested to know uh, what her earlier recordings are, and indeed, you know whether she has a, a rabid fan base. She might have actually been into the country. Uh, two or three times, and I wouldn't even know it. But um, yeah, some... you often find that out about artists, you know. Mm. Oh, they were here. They were here just last month. You could have gone to see them. You know, ah, I'd never heard of them four weeks ago. Well, that actually happened to me earlier on in uh, in the year when um, I think I read an article in was it uh, Uncut magazine or Mojo, probably Uncut, uh, about uh, a group from the north of England called the Unthanks, and. Um, they were certainly another revelation. It's not often that uh, you hear about a folk music group where uh, the main instrument is a is a piano. But um, <laughs> as uh, Tom Lehrer once said about folk music, you know, his his uh, contribution, he said, uh, the, uh, "Don't think of it as a piano. Think of it as an eighty-eight string guitar." Um, <laughs> and uh, that might be how the unthanked uh, look on it. But it, it somehow works. If um, uh, if you're familiar with them, they sort of sound like a more uh, haunting, sombre version of My Friend the Chocolate Cake, the uh, local band led by David Bridey, um, at least in terms of uh, the piano sound. But uh, some absolutely beautiful stuff, very haunting stuff. They had put out uh, an album just recently called Last, um, and I've since gone back through their um, uh, through their back catalogue. They had a couple of albums released. There's The Unthanks which is because of their name. I didn't think it's not them being clever. Um, the uh, two sisters, Rachel and Becky Unthanks, uh, they put out a couple of albums as that name. And then uh, previously um, they called themselves uh, Rachel Unthanks and the Winter Set. And um, yeah, found out that uh, shortly before last, I think it'd been here, they'd, they'd come to Australia and, and played a couple of festivals and had been on Derek Gill's uh, radio show on uh, the ABC. So um, now the late the Derek Gill's radio show, you were tired. The, the late, the late Derek Gill's radio show, and not as in 
Derek Gill, the late Derek Gilbert, is in the late radio show. Yes. Yeah, that'll be missed. But, mm. um, yeah, so anyway, I've been listening to uh, the Unthanks album quite a fair bit. Um, I got a box set, and I, I try to get at least one box set a year. I don't know with what money, but I guess uh, there you go. Um, Loudon Wainwright is a songwriter who I've loved and admired for years. I've, I got to see him twice, but on the one tour when he came out with uh, Richard Thompson. Uh, ooh, I can't remember how many years. At least have to be at least 12, 13 years ago. Uh, the two of them played in Melbourne at the National Theatre. And, uh, I, and, and they both played in, uh, uh, at a, in a CD store in Melbourne doing an in-store, which was uh, a lot of fun. Uh, but, um, but yeah, they did a great show. And, and so yeah, 40 odd years, uh, is the name of this box set. And, uh, it's quite something. Four CDs and a DVD. Uh, quite an informative book, as you expect from a lot of these, um, uh, modern day box set anthologies. A lot of really good information there. And, uh, uh, I mean, I'd originally picked up on Lad and Wayne Wright probably about 20 years ago, um, with a, a live album that he put out, uh, which I've forgotten the name of, but, um, fantastic live album recorded mm. one night at, uh, the bottom line, uh, I think, which is a venue that no longer exists in New York. But, um, he's, he's not, he's a funny songwriter, not what I'd call a comedian songwriter, yeah. uh, because he, he could write a lot of serious stuff anyway. Uh, and he's, he's probably infamous for it because I know, uh, that the McGarrigals and, uh, his own kids have, uh, probably spent a lot of time on the psychiatrist's couch due to his writing his, uh, confessionals about family life in, uh, in his song lyrics. And, you know, sometimes they're very funny and sometimes they're, uh, they're tragically sad. But, um, but, uh, this, this four CD box set is, uh, worth having even if you have a lot of his, uh, regular material. There's a lot of rarities. In there, and the DVD goes for almost four hours. I've gone and collected a lot of uh, footage from over the years, so um, it's a really beautiful uh, box set. Been put together really well. Uh, it's funny. You know, just that I've always, I've always liked when I've heard him. I've always liked his songs, but I don't actually own anything by him. Oh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll fix that up. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I thought, you, I thought you'd probably uh, help uh, me out. I'll, um, well, I'll get you on to. Um, uh, the live album is probably a really good place to start because uh, you know, there's a few songs in there that um, that are live live only things you never recorded properly. A few a few uh, humorous things, and he's really good with an audience. Um, and he, even the even the sad songs sort of take on a bit of a uh, they, they don't seem as serious as when they are in the studio. Mm. Getting it, and uh, he did. I think earlier on this year he reprised his uh, tour with Richard Thompson, calling it the Loud and Rich tour. <laughs> Very good. Um, all right, so I think that's um, that's enough talking about all this peripheral stuff. We should probably get on to the focus of uh, the show, which is going to be uh, John Hyatt. We'll do that after this break. When you're watching movies, are you sick of remakes, reboots? Reimaginings, reinventions, and Reese Witherspoon. Are you fed up with movies where giant robots try to remake Enter the Dragon? Do you think that torture porn is vastly inferior to 1970s driving porn? Do you find Botox actresses with fake tits and action heroes with no chest hair a turn off? Do movies where no single shot lasts more than two and a half seconds piss you off? Yeah, me too. That's why I do Paleo Cinema Podcast. 
a podcast for films more than 20 years old. So if you think that Sid Charisse is a guy and that Myrna Loy is a kind of metal, you need Paleo Cinema Podcast. Go to paleo-cinema.com and do yourself a favour. And we're back. Uh, Morris here, Jeff over there, to the uh, wonders of Skype. Uh, we're talking to each other. Mind you, we both live in the same town, but, you know, opposite ends of the same town. So um, technology, it's a wonderful That's thing. Quite a distance. Mm. Um, so, yes, as I mentioned, the focus of uh, today's show is going to be uh, John Hyatt and in particular his album, Bring the Family. Um, so, uh, Jeff, when was the first time you remember hearing uh, John Hyatt? What was the first thing that you ever heard him? Um, the first, the first time, um, my first introduction to John Hyatt would have been, I think it w- must have been the summer of '88. Um, I was at university, and a friend of mine had given me a cassette tape, and on one side of it, it had, uh, I think it was "Repeat When Necessary" by Dave Edmonds. Mm. Um, there's a confession for you. <laughs> and, uh, oh, there are the other confessions there. <laughs> the other side was slow turning. Yep. And I never, you know, it was one of those ones I thought, oh, I'll, I'll listen to it at some stage. Um, you know, my, my mate that gave it to me, Dave Anderson, he now lives in Ireland. He's, um, <laughs> you know, he's completely music, music daft and plays and sings and all, all sorts. And he said, you've got to check out this guy, John Hyatt. So, uh, eventually I listened to it and it was one of those ones that, you know, within the first three chords of the first song, which, you know, if you remember the slow turning song, a fairly strong yeah. opening. And, I just thought, wow, I quite like this. I'm gonna look, and I just and I just sat at the desk and played it right through without, you know, without moving, without getting up for a cup of tea, without doing anything. And then I played it again. Mm. You know, one of those ones that I played it and played it and played it. I had to go back to Dave a few weeks later and say, can you record me that again? I've played the tape to death. Um, but you know, back in the days when you could do that with uh, cassette tapes. Yes. Uh, and I wasn't sure where he where he fitted in or where he came from. Um, I, I thought he I thought he was a black singer, right? Um, just from the voice, um, well, you know, country sound, soul sound, it was all there. Mm. You know, from there, you know, maybe in a bit of a an obsessive as a as as you can sympathise with over music. I I, I went out and started uh, tracking down all the other the other albums, and you know, Bring the Family was one that was recommended to me. As you know. That, that should be your next stop after slow turning. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know that was uh, you know that was really really good. And did you ever think, get to see him live? I've seen John Hyatt live uh, a handful of times um, in Edinburgh, including with the the Little Village band. Yep. Which which was great for the first half was a uh, was the Little Village album. The second half became a John Hyatt concert, which was mm. you know was fantastic. Um, so no, the, I think at that time, you know, I was just at that that period in my life where I was trying to figure out what what you're supposed to do when you grow up, and and uh, you have know, have you worked it out yet? Nah, if I if I ever do, I'll let you know. Thank you. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, John Hyatt's music sort of fit right in there because I think I was it was a Friday night, it was a sunny Friday night, and I was stuck in the, I was stuck in the flat on my own with nowhere to go, no, and I just didn't think that that was right. There was probably a girl involved somewhere, maybe in myself, you know, but. And uh, you know, I just sort of thought, well, you know, if I had a car, I probably would go drive south right now. Ah, very good. I settled for the number eighty-one bus and went home and saw my mum. 
Uh, you're a good boy. Good to you, Mum. Yeah, look, I, I think uh, as for myself, I know that um, uh, I, I think like probably like a lot of people in Melbourne first came across John Hyatt. Uh, he came out uh, on a concert tour, I presume, in the, I think in the early 90s on um, what was what in the States would have been a, a bona fide double bill. But really here he was um, merely support act for Robert Cray. And uh, in, a, in a show that was talked about for months and months, uh, basically, you know, people came for Robert Cray, uh, but left with John Hyatt in their heads. Uh, mm. you, know, you can imagine you know, John Hyatt playing on stage with his band and just tore up the stage. Uh, this is this is not a, a, a quiet man. This is a man who uh, sings and plays with a lot of passion. And then after that, you know, just. Uh, Robert Cray and his band just sort of played their early 90s smooth style of blues, you know, walking around the stage, not looking terribly enthusiastic about what they were doing. Um, and uh, so, yeah, the word got around. You know, John Hyatt's the one who should have been headlining the show, and Robert Cray was, uh, shall we say, a little bit dull. Um, I didn't get to that. I didn't get to that show, and I had to wait almost, I think, you know, 15 to 20 years or whatever it was before he came back. He came and played. Uh, solo last year at the National Theatre, uh, playing for his uh, same old man, uh, promoting yeah. promoting that album. Um, <clears throat> it was uh, uh, yeah, just him and a guitar. I mean, you know, unlike unlike Steve Earle, I, I think John Hyatt uh, and a guitar completely works. I still would have loved to have seen him with a band, but uh, it was hardly a consolation prize. He's still playing with a lot of passion. He was very very funny. Um, even through the moments, and there were a lot of serious moments. He's had a lot of hardships, I guess, in his life. But um, oh, he's a, a bit of a struggle. He's not had his uh, troubles to seek as, as old John um, mm. through his life. Uh, he's had a ups and downs, which I think is reflected in the music, which which is great. You know, like I said about Steve, well, I think John Hyatt's at the stage now where he's sort of settling down into sort of stable, enjoyable family life, but he still seems to have found something to say. Mm, mm. Um, Hyatt. Hyatt, um, I think after shortly after that uh, that concert, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, uh, Peter uh, Peter Burke, went and gave me a copy of um, the album that I think had only recently come out, which was uh, Stolen Moments. Mm. And and I don't know if it's for sentimentality reasons, but that's probably actually still my favourite Hyatt album. But I've chosen to Bring the Family for today, I guess, because it's um, it's often seen as being the uh, the pinnacle or uh, the iconic album of his career, but certainly Stolen Moments has uh, got some uh, fantastic songwriting on that and some, some great playing. Yeah, there's definitely on Stolen Moments, there's a, there's a couple of songs I can think of in particular for, from a couple of reasons we might get to later, sort of really just leap out and, and you know, mm. hit me in the face with a wet fish, you know, that sort of yeah. moment. So, all right, so, um, so a little bit of a history of... Uh, John Hyatt, all this from that great oracle of knowledge, Wikipedia. John was born <laughs> in 1952 to Robert and Ruth Hyatt. Uh, when Hyatt was nine years old, his 21-year-old brother Michael committed suicide. So, uh, yeah, not a happy start to life. And uh, it seemed he was a, uh, a bit of a drifter, but he learnt, he learnt guitar fairly early on. Uh, and um, in the early 70s, uh, he uh, spent some time. Uh, he got a got a publishing contract, uh, working for twenty five bucks a week, tea tr- a, a tree music publishing company. 
uh, wrote something like 250 songs, but because he couldn't read or write music at the time, uh, he had to record all 250 songs rather than transcribe them. Um, he, uh, he worked with quite a number of record companies, um, and prior to, uh, uh, Bring the Family, which he recorded, uh, not for A&M, I think, but, um, as, uh, I think A&M just happened to pick it up. Uh, but he, he, uh, made a few albums for, uh, the MCA and Geffen labels. Now, I can't remember which one it was. Maybe it was Slugline, um, or the Observatory. But I, I remember a friend of mine playing me, uh, like, when I told him I was a Hyatt fan, he said, I'll listen to this early album. And it was very synth heavy and, um, yeah. and guitar histrionics and nothing like the Hyatt that I knew and loved. What's, what do you know of those early years, Jeff? Well, the early years definitely. Um, it was a sort of very mixed bag. It was definitely somebody who you described his background coming from writing 250 odd songs for for other people, and I think he he struggled to even find his own real direction. You know, he, he covered so many styles and genres. Those early albums range from you know the odd really good song to just what the hell am I listening to here? <laughs> um, and you know, if you've heard John Hyatt interviewed himself, he says he looks back on some of his his back catalogue and he thinks. Now, that was somebody else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, some of, yeah, certainly the early stuff, the the hanging round the observatory or uh, raincoats. I think was the second album. Yeah. Um, or as the guy in the record shop in Edinburgh when I tried to order it said, "Oh yeah, I know John Hyatt. His album Raincoats Around the Observatory." <laughs> which I thought was quite. I mean, it could be a good, could have been a good album title, but um, <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I think, and as well, you know. The, the, he struggled to find direction. There was all these these two bit monsters, all these mm. albums through that that whole period. Where there are some there are some good songs, um, you know, warming up to the Ice Age, riding with the King, um, and then the the nineteen was it nineteen eighteen nine. He released that sort of best of worst of y'all caught um, of, of the the Geffen the Geffen stuff, which kind of pulls out mm. the high spots of those years in this. There's some songs in there that you could be listening to the, you know, the, the American Elvis Costello. Yeah. Some of that sound in there. Certainly uh, not a comparison I think he'd object to. No, I, I think I think most people would be quite quite happy to be compared to, to that Elvis. Well, quite, uh, funnily you should mention that because I think according to one website I, I read, uh, when uh, MCA and, or Geffen had dumped him and he was free of a, a record contract, Demon Records, which had released all the early Elvis stuff, uh, said, listen, we'd be happy to record you just standing in your toilet singing. You take a dump, we'll record it. That's fine. So uh, there, there is that Elvis connection. They did love it, and no doubt um, Elvis and John Pike would have worked together. Yeah, even even vocally, he sounds, on some of these albums, he sounds a bit like Elvis Costello. They both know how to hit hit the, the high notes when they want to. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, but uh, I think getting back on round to 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 bring the family. Um, yes. That was uh, that was recorded, I believe, in four days. Yes, yeah. yes, using a producer called John Chelu, who I think might have recorded uh, an album for Los Lobos uh, a few years back, uh, "Good Morning at Slam," uh, and uh, certainly comes up with a very crisp, clear, but not overly produced sound. Um, before we sort of like talk about the album itself, let's just talk about. Um, uh, the musicians, yeah, you know, a, a few, a few hacks, you know, people, I don't know, you might not have heard of these guys before. Ry Cuda, um, yeah, Nick, Nick Lowe, who are these guys? Jim Keltner, I mean, 
couldn't he get someone well known? My God. Yeah, I think uh, I think he was actually asked what would be his uh, his ideal band, or you know, if if you could make a, a a record with a band that you could choose from anyone in the world, he came up with these guys, and it just happened that they were Valid. they were free to work with him at the time. And well, I know uh, I've heard Nick Lowe talking, and and Nick Lowe says he he didn't take a, a cent. I read for, yep. for working on Bring the Family, and he also um, doesn't take any didn't take any royalties from it. Wow. One of the biggest regrets of his life because it still sells quite well. <laughs> I hope uh, Heights returned the favour in kind somewhere sure. along the way. Has he played on any Nick Lowe albums in the last ten, twenty years? I don't know. I'm sure he's. I'm sure it's been returned. I'm sure that's been returned. But but also in that period in the lead up to to bring the family, um, Hyatt had become estranged from his his first wife, um, and she had she had hanged herself just uh, in the lead up to to that that kind of date as well. You know it's. Um, I think um, that's yeah. certainly reflected in a couple of songs on Meet the Family. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, which we'll we will get into. We will get into once we get off this uh, preliminary stuff. But just still concentrating for a moment on the um, on the band Keltner, who's uh, long been a favourite drummer of mine. Um, you know, I, th- I think the first time I might have heard him, or at least been aware that it was him, I probably heard him before. But uh, hearing him play on the Mad Dogs and Englishmen. Uh, album for Joe Cocker, which I don't remember who the other drummer was, but it was a dual drumming band. Um, played on the Travelling Wilburys, played on every uh, on a solo album for every Beatle, I think, except Paul McCartney. Although for years I was convinced that he had played on Tug of War, but it turns out I think that was Steve Gadd. But for some reason I have this association between Steve Gadd mm. and uh, Jim Keltner. Um, Bill Frisell, he recorded a great album with Bill Frisell called Gone Just Like a Train. And uh, we normally associated Bill with uh, you know, uh, jazz, but um, uh, I think uh, Bill was sort of going a little bit more of a country vein, but you know, jazz and country, notwithstanding Western swing, you don't sort of normally put the two genres together, but certainly Keltner's style on that album worked a treat. Um, uh, he was the drummer on uh, Knocking on Heaven's Door, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid's uh, mm. drummer. Um, and he's uh, Ringo's drummer of choice uh, for, in the uh, all-star band, at least for a period. Um, and, of course, he's played on a few albums by my absolute songwriting hero, Richard Thompson. So, um, yeah, a bit of an all-star band there with uh, Keltner. Rykuda. Now, Ry- have you heard the new Rykuda album, by the way, Jeff? I haven't heard the new Rykuda album. I kind of gave up on Rykuda about 25 years ago. Mm. They've... My friend Dave Anderson again, who introduced me to the uh, the John Hyatt stuff. Um, he was a massive Ry Cooder fan, still is, and uh, he gave me a couple of Ry Cooder records um, to to listen to and see what I thought of it. You know, it didn't take long. Mm. Um, I just I don't know. Just it never never. I mean, the guy can play guitar, of course, but you know, yes. it just never. His solo stuff just never got me. You know, his his own stuff. Um, I, I love his work on other people's other people's records, but I, I don't know, just I must just be mad and crazy or something. I just didn't ever quite quite get it. Oh look I, I definitely feel that there are albums and there are albums. They're not they're not all um uh it, it stylistically he hasn't sort of always gonna remain the same even when he was doing whatever you wanted to call like a standard Rai Cooter album. So like before he sort of went down the path of movie soundtracks and Buena Vista Social Club, he was still Doing you know, albums like uh, the tribute to Bix Biderbeck 
in jazz, and then he was doing things like Bop Till You Drop, and um, you know, there even a couple of albums that I think you know that sound a little bit overproduced, uh, which appealed to me less. You know, songs like The UFO Has Landed, I, I think, or the, the Slide Area was not an album that appealed to me terribly much. But um, he sort of found a bit of a renaissance these last few years, and um, he's uh, I think he's deciding to make himself the uh, at least lyrically, the American Billy Bragg. Um, <laughs> the, uh, this new album he's got out called uh, Pull Up Some Sand and Sit A While, uh, I guess would have had uh, Woody Guthrie quite proud. But he, he, there's no subtlety in any of these lyrics. This is uh, he, He's definitely uh, wanting you to know what he thinks about uh, the situation the world is in. And the last three or four albums have been a little bit like that. Um, I guess I sort of got to a stage where I thought, yeah, I, okay, I know what you think, right, fine, um, do I want to get beaten over the head with it? But musically, especially on this new album, uh, he's musically so seductive that I think, all right, I can listen to this, you know, and ultimately, no matter how good the lyrics are, um, if you're not listening to someone giving a speech, you want to hear a good song, want to hear a good tune. Are you serious podcast? Best of the left.com. Linoleum knife. 35 millimeter hero. Chinstroke versus Pencer. Family movie night. Bloody good horror. Skills on film radio. Night of the Living podcast. Mail order zombie. Outside the cinema. Popcorn mafia. Perhaps you'd be interested in Gleecast. First time caller podcast. Showshow.podomatic.com. The David Pakman Show. gentle listeners. I'm Fozzie Bear. There are a lot of podcasts out there, and it's impossible to listen to them all. That's where the Podcast Podcast comes in. On the Podcast Podcast, we have very special guests from some of the best shows on iTunes, covering everything from movies to television to literature to pop culture and politics. On the Podcast Podcast, you can listen to these guests and decide if you should check out their show or keep on moving. Find us in the iTunes store by searching for me, Fozzie Bear. That's F-O-Z-Z-I-E-B-A-R-E. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 